Hi, I'm Professor Beckstraw. And I'm Professor Eric Bronson, and this is Prison Breakdown. Two, three, break! Eat the spoilers fun, but we're gonna bust out of here! Two, three, break! And welcome back to Prison Breakdown. I'm here joined by my co-host with the co-most, Tiny B, <laughs> Dr. Eric Bronson. Hello. I, I love it that that's going to be a Tiny B. That's fun. We're going to start using that. And producer Britt, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thank you. All right. I'm excited about today's topic. I love this. This is we fun have stuff. Quite a lot in store. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, our topic of today is tattoos. Now, what can you tell me about uh, tattoos? Well, well. Can we, before we get into our big subject, can we get some news off the razor wire? Fresh news, hot off the razor wire. All right, two hundred. 215 people have been buried behind a Mississippi jail since 2016, according to an attorney in Mississippi. Um, families of people who were buried in the Poppers Field next to the Hines County Penal Farm near Jackson, Mississippi, are calling for a federal investigation into the burials, which took place without families being notified. With their attorney now saying the field holds hundreds more graves, the families want a full accounting of the bodies buried there. So there, this is this has become national news um, when some families started to state that they've waited for months to hear about missing loved ones, only to find out that their relative had died months earlier and they were buried in the grassy field. This also became a hot topic earlier this month due to a case where um, a, an individual, let's see, Dexter Wade, who's 37 years old, um, was reportedly being pursued by the police and taken into custody and, and then went uh, missing. And come to find out, he is buried behind the jail. And this happened just recently here in um, in January, or excuse me, uh, um, where the the mother of Dexter Wade, um, where she, Mama Wade, just found out that her son was buried last month in uh, the fields behind the jail. So we we <clears throat> for those folks who don't know. Um, all states um, and the federal system have burial grounds for uh, for inmates who's who pass away while they're incarcerated, where the family either chooses not to or cannot claim the body. So they have a place to to bury individuals. Uh, at a lot of states, they are they consolidate 
uh, meaning they don't have us, uh, they don't have burial grounds at every single, um, every single institution. And so they will bury them at one or two different places or several different places if you're in a large state. But, um, this does not sound like anything that is being regulated or watched. And the worst thing about it is the family members are not being notified. Um, but there's also, it's very interesting that since 2016, um, they've had over 215 individuals buried there. That just, I, to me, that seems like an extremely high number for, for Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I don't think the population is that large. Sure. 216 individuals would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense because they got a massive population in Jackson, Mississippi. But um, so obviously this is a, because of the, the attention um, that it's getting, um, you know, the media is on it. Social media is, is all over this. Um, the, the feds are now looking into the situation. So can we open the floor for questions? Absolutely. First question. When we have a graveyard like this, next to or behind a prison, our family is able to visit their loved ones there. Yes. Yes, they can. Um, because the the graveyard, <clears throat> other than our favorite place in Louisiana, which we will be attending in the fall, the, the burial grounds are outside of the institutions. So, um, but at, down at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, um, it is actually inside the institution, but the family members who want to go visit the gravesite are allowed to do that by checking in down down Still in Louisiana. Would be tough. Imagine having yeah. to deal with that, like having to get a day pass just to visit the grave of a loved one. Right. Right. And and are you able to visit if it's maybe say it's a friend? Can I can I go visit a friend's grave if they're buried behind yes. institution walls? Yes. Yes, you can. the The toughest one is we know from time to time there are family members that get locked up. Um, and so if you have a, a, a brother or sister um, who's buried um, behind a wall and, and you yourself have a felony record, then, then you can't go and pay respects at the grave um, because you, they aren't oh, going to yeah. let you inside the institution. Good point. Interesting point. And is it only inmates who are buried in those cemeteries? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. That's something I think we need to look into. That's quite yeah, the... Like, could I be buried there if I wanted to? Yeah, I guess if you want to. Yeah, if you have a relative yeah, yeah. Or there, think... can you opt to be buried next to them? Well, I think, on, in all seriousness, I think that um, for individuals who aren't working there or are not incarcerated, you cannot be buried there. So, like, mm. we can't... Now, if you have a... Um, like if you're a spouse of someone who is right. who's buried, I don't think you can can join. Um, you know, they're what they would say. I imagine, and we can I can look into this and find out what they would say is that if you want to be buried with your spouse, come claim the body and take them outside the institution. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And and question pertaining to what was the name of the disappeared gentleman um so from down in mississippi let me get to it real quick um 
Burtonston Wade um, is the mother of Dexter Wade. Dexter Wade is 37. And the police told her that, um, that, uh, you know, she was told recently um, that he was buried in that pauper's field. Um, But last October, um, she filed a missing person's report um, that her son um, had disappeared and come to find out um, there was a police chase and then he ended up buried behind the jail. Fascinating. And does anyone know what happened to him? Is there any official record that could say he died in prison at this time? So I, that's where this, you know, um, this thing gets kind of, um, turned into, uh, after school special almost, uh, there's been a real lack of communication between, uh, the police department, uh, the correctional staff, the prosecuting attorney about what happened. Uh, the coroner's office hasn't been, um, hasn't been very forthcoming with information. Um, but there was supposedly an accident that took place. Um, and there's an investigation that was still ongoing. So it it sounds like there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of unanswered questions right now, which is, you know, explains why there's such a call and desire to have, you know, an investigation taking place. Interesting. And it, it, it also opens up this issue, I guess I hadn't really thought about very much, where if you're incarcerated, there's this Schrodinger's cat quality to your life in relation to the people on the outside. So the, the mom does not know the son's status. She, she does not know. I believe Dexter was his name. She doesn't know if Dexter's alive or dead. She has no idea what's going on with him unless he chooses to reach out and communicate with her unless he unless or unless she schedules a visit. Right. Like he has to make the outgoing call. He has to reply by mail. He has to show up for the visit. But otherwise, maybe the reporting procedures have broken down and they're not communicating with relatives like they should be. Well, so it's interesting because I know I heard it when I when I when I got a little information and that I might have caught a piece from the Mississippi Broadcasting Company, um, you know, the NPR affiliate in Mississippi, um, who was covering out of Jackson. And they said that originally when, um, when Dexter, when Dexter Wade left, there was a little bit of an argument between him and his mom. So Mm -hmm. that adds to this in terms of, oh, well, he's mad at me. So of course he's not going to answer my phone. Of course, you know, I, maybe I'm going to give him some space, give him some time. So yeah, it, it's a, you know, it's kind of like the perfect storm of, okay, he leaves angry, then ends up, you know, in some type of, whether it was a police chase or an accident, again, we're still waiting for, um, for information. Um, you know, uh, whether, you know, it was one of these things where he was, uh, on foot because there, there is some there's one report that says he was uh, struck and killed by a police SUV wow. and then for them to okay if that happened 
on the side of the road and then they take the body to the jail and bury it without reaching out to any family that's that's horrible and of course the mom's never going to know that her child has um has died um when they're when they're trying to when they're when they're trying to uh you know hide it or something you know that because that's what this just screams of is that they're you know they're hiding something here sure and and it it also seems cold-blooded like they're punishing the family for the transgressions of the children right and that's completely unfair yeah wow that is fascinating Please keep us updated as the story develops. Any other majestic prison news this week there? That is it for our prison news uh, for this episode. All right. Thank you, Razorwire. (laughs) Let's move on to the main event of the day. We're talking tats. We're talking tattoos. We're talking tatties. Does anyone call them tatties? Tatties. All right. Well, maybe it, it could catch on after this podcast. Well, that well, what I so, was wondering if that was an Alaskan term for for tattoos, and I didn't know it. Um, you know, you know, prison ink, right? That's what we're talking about. Prison ink. Yes. Let's talk about it. What do you know about it? What's what's the scoop, producer Britt Bronson? What do you two know about prison tattoos? Well. I know they, uh, first off, they're, they're not very bright. They consistently dark colors, black or blue, which the blue ink tends to look either really dark gray or black um, because the ink that's available to the inmates within the institution, taken from pens um, and most institutions, yep. for every form, you have either blue or black pens hi- hanging around. Yeah, it often does not look as good as a lot of other tattoos I've seen. It, it I'm sure there are good ones out there. I yeah. haven't seen as many yep. as I'd hope. Yep. But we know that there are talented artists being incarcerated, so maybe it's more of a quality of materials thing. Mm-hmm. The tattooing process, though, in prison, it's got so many steps. First, you have to get the materials. You have to hide the materials. This is these are materials that would be considered contraband. And we've already talked about contraband at length, so I won't go too far into it. But it requires those things. Often it requires finding another inmate to tattoo you, a location to complete this tattoo where the guards, the corrections officers won't see, and also having a lookout for the corrections officers. So there's so many moving parts to this whole process. I I got to think that the... Probably the most difficult part of that, like you said, is the location. Not just because you have to, uh, you know, hide away from the staff, but you need to find, for the most part, somewhere to plug that your little noob tattoo gun that you're using in. And um, that's outlets are not just you know randomly placed throughout the institution no they're hard to find so i think that's one of the toughest parts about the prison ink is finding that outlet that and maybe not attracting the attention of staff with the noise that might come out of yeah your, your homemade tattoo gun we often find that the artists and 
inmates who are able to tattoo are compensated in some way. They're treated well because people want to be on their good side. They want to make sure their tattoos are done well. From former inmate tattoo artists, we know that they might make up to around $20 an hour. And this money comes in, like uh, the Rhode Island Department of Corrections allows family and friends to send money to inmates over the phone and through deposit kiosks that are in the prisons themselves um, in the on the outside areas, the more public-facing sections. So people could get money on their books that way, have have a friend or family member drop money on somebody else's books or even trade soups or stamps or whatever the currency is of the facility. Little Debbie's. Little Debbie's. Yeah, Little and Debbie's. So, how many Little Debbie's is a, is a tattoo? You know, how, what, <laughs> what, what, what are we going to... How many little Debbies do we need to make it worth the the artist's time? That's a tough one, isn't it? Do we, it is a tough one. We're also this also needs to consider that the artists often the 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 labor in labor in prisons is so significantly underpaid where they might make like fifty, sixty cents an hour would be a decent job in some prisons. So maybe they're just sitting there not doing anything else with their time. And so this is something for them to do. It's, it's tough to, to think about like what, what drives inmates to even do this in the yeah, first place. I was going to say that like even $20 an hour like seems like a decent wage or something, but for a tattoo artist, that is significantly deflated. That's about one tenth <laughs> of what an average tattoo artist makes on the outside. Right, right. So maybe we need forget the little Debbies. We need the big Debras. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're gonna pay them with big Debras. So, in terms of the equipment, the machines are made from often from like pens, deodorant labels, broken spoons. You get a motor from a beard trimmer, a CD player, or a tape player, or something like that if they're allowed. And then the needle, they will take the springs from pens. I've, I've had multiple inmates, when I'm giving surveys, inmates will try and take, they will try and remove the spring from my pen and I'll notice my pen doesn't click like a pen should click. And then I'll say, give me back the spring. And they, they, they know it's all a game for them. They go, ah, all right, fine. And they, they've given it back, no problem. But you, you it's know, something one of the that other, they can use. You know, one of the other fun things that... Um, that uh, the inmates w w that I found because I, you know, I'd seen the springs before, you know, I'd gone into work one day and the spring was missing from a pen. And one of my, you know, this is when I was still learning what the hell was going on. One of my coworkers told me like, oh, an inmate stole it for a tattoo gun, probably. Um, but one of the other things an officer brought up one time when I was touring uh, a prison in Ohio was the... Uh, inmates would steal from the um, musical arts room. They would steal guitar strings, and they would use that, uh, the guitar strings um, that weren't the plastic, for, you know, that they were the hard-corded one, and they would use that to um, as, on their tattoo guns, which I just, you know, I really thought that was quite interesting. They were like, oh, well, I, you know, I guess that would work. Um, but uh, Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. But these are things that not 
all incarcerated persons have access to either. What the final one to mention would be a spring from a stapler. Same idea as the the spring from a pen. Why not just a staple at that point? (laughs) I don't know. You know, you gotta use a spring. You gotta straighten it out. Why not just the staple? Do you think it has to do with the length of the the needle? Yeah, you want uh, you want like something you can wrap around the motor. So, uh-huh. yeah, there we go. Yes, and disclosure to our listeners, I I've never gotten a tattoo before. Why do I keep saying a tattoo? And I've never know. had a tattoo. Before. I was I didn't know if that was a West Coast <laughs> thing that you were a tattoo. <laughs> no, I I don't know why I'm saying it. <laughs> Uh, we'll go back to calling them tatties. Um, <laughs> All right, tatties. So, uh, so, what are they used for ink? Well, you can start with the ink from some pens that you've stolen, but they can also uh, uh, melt down. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting right now what they can melt down, and they can use that with some a little bit of color. Ah, uh, boy. Melted checkers and chess pieces. There we go. That's one thing they melt down. They will also use Bible pages, toothpaste, boot polish, and burnt ash. Yeah, charcoal. Charcoal can be used for, yeah, ink. Bible pages? Yeah, Bible pages. I'm not exactly sure how that works. I assume that probably gets filed under burnt ash as well. Like, Uh maybe they would have to burn the Bible pages. Oh, Uh That's a holy tatty, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, now, now we're using preferred nomenclature. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, for the history of prison tattoos, inmates used to be forcibly tattooed in some areas for punishment. It was a form of embarrassment and this permanent mark of being a criminal, the, the scarlet letter idea. In the 18th century, in France, thieves were forced to wear this tattoo, this V on their shoulder. It meant... Valour or thief. Uh, the significance of prison tattoos. There are five types of prison tattoos depending on their design, message, and motive behind their creation. The first, we have these uh, the commodified types of tattoos, the, the purchase tattoos. It, it, they are used to construct the inmate's body image. They allow for the confirmation of their value and proof that the prison system did not manage to break them. One former inmate, Dorde Valizlevic, I think I'm getting that name right, he claims he chose to get a large tattoo that can always be visible as a reminder to himself to never go back to prison. We also have Nazi tattoos. These types of tattoos do not necessarily have just an anti-Semitic meaning, but it it also states hate for African-Americans, as well as this white solidarity and white supremacy in general. As we know, the United States has this significantly disproportionate number of African-Americans in our prisons and jails, and the Nazi tattoos send this message to other minority, racial minority inmates that is threats, direct or indirect. That's uh, We also have gang tattoos. Know, I, when I was working at the, no, the prison in Kentucky... I would, to be honest, I was, I guess, uh, one of the things that I, I remember that struck me was the, um, was the number of inmates that had, uh, 
swastikas. It really, you know, I, I expected to see, you know, just a few, but it was, it was a much larger percentage of that. I'm, I'm maybe 30 inmates had swastikas, at least that I saw. Now, part of that was some of the time I would, I would work over in the rec, uh, the rec area. So I was more likely to see them working out. And when they would do that, they'd, you know, they'd take their shirt off while they were lifting. So you could see more of their tattoos, but, um, yeah, it, it, it was much more common. Now, the other thing is that obviously, you know, we're, we're looking at a state that, you know, has, that is predominantly white or black. And so for, for the most part that it was a white supremacist, um, tattoo, it, you know, as you were mentioning, it wasn't simply anti-Semitism. Um, it was, you know, a white power tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I surprisingly have not seen that many Nazi tattoos during my time working in prisons and jails. The, the time, the one memorable time I did see them, Zimmate comes up to me and, um, he was, he was a white dude with, with Nazi tattoos, swastikas. And, um, what was it? The, the eight, eight, for, Heil Hitler, uh, the eighth letter being H yeah. for Heil Hitler. Yep. Uh, dude comes up to me, and there, there was a new inmate on the block who needed to be assigned to a cell. New inmate on the block was a black dude, and this Nazi comes up to me and he says, "You better not put that guy in my cell, otherwise there's there's going to be trouble." And it, it was a real dilemma because on one hand, I don't want to, I don't want to cave in and and just go along with what this this Nazi's saying, I, nobody would want to, right. who's right. at least like, I, I can't say nobody, but, but like, it's, it's something that fundamentally I'm against, but on the other hand, you have to look out for the, the safety of the new guy on the block. Right. And right. so the only time that segregation is legal in prisons is when it's, it's something like that, where it is to, keep somebody safe or keep a group of somebody's safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I ended up putting, putting the new guy in a different cell and shuffling people around a little bit so I could, I could make some more room, but not, not a fan of, no. of this guy giving me this ultimatum. Right. But I, you know, on the other hand, Hey, he, at least he came to you and said, Hey, don't do that or else because who knows what it could have set off at the institution. Maybe, maybe you were able to, you know, divert a bad situation. Sure. Maybe there was some violence prevented that day, hopefully. Yeah. And so back to the types of tattoos. We also have gang tattoos. I'm sure we've all seen plenty of gang tattoos in the community and in prison and jail settings. Um, they are the signs of commitment to a very small and specific community. Uh, Gang-related tattoos done in prison can result in strong disciplinary action against the recipient. And often it will be worse than if the tattoo is not gang related. And people with gang tattoos are often targeted by staff in prison environments. And they, they are more often sent to solitary confinement just for separating gang members to eliminate risks. So say I've got like uh, Bloods and Crips in my unit. Some of them might be shipped out, shipped off to separate or even solitary type of units. 
Religious iconography is also huge in terms of tattoos, popular throughout inmate populations, and often these will signal some kind of change in an, an incarcerated person's behavior or their way of life. And have you ever heard of the Memento Mori tattoo? No, I sure have not, no. The, the symbol represents an inevitability of death. It's often designed as a skull with roses. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty badass. Sounds like it sounds like there are uh, Facebook groups that would protest that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to die. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Inmates will often enjoy tattooing on the inside. It allows them to feel the pleasure of bucking the trend against prison administration, uh, showing they got one over on the staff and. Many inmates will get excited to break rules and test the administration, feeling like they have some sense of control or power. Um, being able to get away with giving or receiving a tattoo expresses that the system and security measures are not tight enough. And inmates also choose to have tattoos to look tough. The tougher you look in prison, the more authority you have, the more respect you will be afforded in a prison hierarchy. Yeah, you know, think about it. If you can, just pure intimidation can either, you know, get you out of a situation, a negative situation, maybe a fight, maybe, uh, you know, it helps keep inmates from exploiting you. But it, it could also, um, you know, help you do a little bit of your own time. Whereas if you, if you have some artwork on your, <laughs> let's say, neck or face, um, that might keep some groups... Um, from bothering you. So, you know, maybe it has a little bit of a deterrent effect. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that idea. And a, another one that might have a deterrent effect is the teardrop tattoo. Now, are, are you are you familiar with the significance of the teardrop oh, tattoo? Oh, yeah. We got, there's a lot of fun. Of course, it depends which which group is, is, is using it, right? Um, if it's a gang or if it's just... Um, somebody, and it depends which eye it's under in terms of whether or not they've, you know, blood in, blood out, you know, for a gang, that type of of situation, or whether or not they've killed somebody while incarcerated. So there's a, there's a few different meanings to, to find with the, with the teardrop, right? Indeed. It, It totally depends on the state. It depends on the institution. Like inmates in Louisiana will have teardrop tattoos just to have them. But traditionally, the meaning is that if, if you have a teardrop under your left eye, it is like a tally on the cell wall. It's signifying how long you've spent in prison. If you have it under your right eye, it signifies dead bodies. How many bodies you've accrued, how many people you've killed. That, you know, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's fine. You know, seeing somebody that has multiple teardrops, you know, out in public, you, you always go, oh, well we know what they're trying to convey, right? That they're trying to yeah. say, I, I did some time or m- maybe, you know, I was in a gang out on the streets and I took care of business. Um, and yeah, that, that can be, that could be rather intimidating for people. And, and as you said, you know, having that, having something like that can make you more an imposing figure while you're incarcerated. Bingo. Now, we, we also see Russian incarcerated persons have their own 
code that is demonstrated through tattoos. Like if, if you have a, a cat tattoo, it signifies that you're a thief. Inmates will often give themselves these tattoos. A, a single cat signifies that you worked alone. If you have multiple cat tattoos, it shows that you work in a group of thieves. Nice. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, it, good for know, cat people. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get to name the cats when you have them? Like, you know, <laughs> like this is Bartholomew. This is, this here's is mittens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that's as intimidating. No. <laughs> Uh, Russian prisoners also have other tattoos like a star. Each point on the star will represent a year spent in prison. Barbed wire on someone's head means that they are doing life in prison without parole. And if they have birds on the horizon, that means that they are longing for freedom. So that's interesting. We've got a whole separate code just specific to persons from Russia. Yeah, that that's fun, and and you know it's uh, you know we we tend to uh, look at you know, people from other countries as being exotic, right? And so a lot of that that artwork they might have on their skin could be seen as something that's rather exotic, and therefore people might want to copy it. And hey, I want that too. Um, not knowing what the the meanings are, the implications are when you when you get something like that. Indeed. We also have, uh, I want to circle back around to gang tattoos. So for gangs, the, the spider web tattoo, are you familiar with this tattoo? You, you will often see it like on an elbow. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's one, I think it's one of the two most popular ones you can see out in, in society and, um, and know if somebody's, you know, done some time. Yeah, in, in itself, it, it signifies that that person spent time in prison or they spent time caught in the web of the inescapable gang lifestyle. And the bigger the web, the longer the time. There you go. Yeah. And tattoos have these different significant meanings for many gang members and members of the mafia, even. They're often seen as tokens of recognition and they're earned based on actions that were taken for the gang. And there can be some bad consequences for getting gang-related tattoos without earning them. It's seen as stolen valor among those circles. <laughs> I love that. It's, yeah, it, it, I love that we're going to take something like valor. And but yeah, we can understand that if you're if you're stealing another gang's, uh, you know, colors or or, or ink or uh, their artwork, whatever their image, you know, they're going to be upset. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, it's often, you know, because I've, I remember hearing inmates talk about, you know, somebody having taken their tattoos and using it and that it was stolen valor. So it was interesting that you use that same exact phrase. Yeah, I, I love stories of stolen valor. It'll pop up once or twice a year. It's always interesting. I never quite understand why the person's doing it, but this this need for attention that someone would engage in the idea of stolen valor is uh, yeah. always interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. So as you and I probably know, many many of the tattoos that we see in prisons will explain the crime that the person committed to send them to prison. And this type of tattoo can be good or bad. It's, it can be good if the crime they committed helped the gang, 
but it's also sometimes used as punishment where it's something they have to wear. It's visible for everyone to see. It's involuntary for the wearer. And so these, some tattoos can be bad if it was against the gang or brought down the gang. It's, it's used to shame them and label them as traitors. Yeah, there's, there was a, an interesting case um, years ago. This is from before you were born. <laughs> so we're going back to Papa's time. But uh, <laughs> there is an inmate uh, who didn't understand all the rules of the institution before they went in. They weren't very street savvy there at the Kentucky State Penitentiary. And uh, there were, you know, we're using the... Uh, the inmate statuses. There's a pack of wolves that were repeatedly uh, assaulting this individual, both physically and sexually. And when this individual got went ahead and uh, found out, he got paroled, and they gave him his date. You know, when you, when you get paroled, you don't just leave the parole room board, right? You still have a lot, you know, a month or three weeks or six weeks before you actually get out when you're paroled. Yeah, there's steps to yeah. be taken. And, and in that situation, um, you, you don't, you know, you don't let people know that you're leaving because a lot of times they'll start, you know, stealing from you or whatever. They might try and get you into some trouble. But this guy went up to this group of individuals, this pack of wolves who, who were assaulting him and kind of threw it in their face. Ha ha. I got paroled. I'm getting out of here. Well, not the best idea. No, and I guess within the next week, they went ahead and held him down and um, gave him, a, you know, as we would say, tatties on his back. Very large letters across his shoulders, his shoulder blades, KSP for Kentucky State Penitentiary. And down around his waist, they wrote punk. And in between those, they put uh, some male genitalia. So you think about this, you know, obviously it wasn't done with care. It's not like any of it looks nice. Um, not that no. you need it to look nice, right? <laughs> You'd say, These guys held me down and tattooed me. <laughs> but, oh, look at the artistry. <laughs> um, that's just not what happened. <laughs> but uh, no, this is horrible. Yeah, exactly. Horrible. This guy's marked for life as a, as a prison punk. Um, and, and so, you know, if he ever gets locked up again, you know, the same fate is going to befall him and wherever he goes in any institution. So, yeah, sometimes it's, they, you know, other situations where people have been held down and they've been tattooed rat on them or um, snitch. Yeah, it's a, it really is something that, that can have a, an awful impact because it's not, you know, the state isn't going to do anything to help you out with that tattoo if they got you. Yeah, right? They're, they're not going to offer tattoo removal services or anything no, like that. No. <laughs> get you, that that's a horrifying story. Yeah. Yeah. The state is not going to get you that laser treatment to get that tattoo off you. Jeez. Yeah, I wish. Um, so there, there's a lot we don't know about gang tattoos. Though. Many gangs just don't tell other groups about their symbols and tattoos. So there's plenty that we don't know. But of what we do know... Um, there's a, a few gangs like the Crips, the Bloods, MS-13, where some of their symbols are really prominent. Like the, the Crips will have a symbol of a three-pointed crown and a six-pointed crown, and they will use codes in their tattoos. 
So they will use numbers in replacement for the affiliated letters. So if you want to write a word, for example, A is the number one, B is the number two. So it will be spelled out in numerals. So if, if you use 211, that means BK, and that's not Burger King. This is blood killer, meaning that this, this person who's a member of the Crips has killed a member of the Bloods, their rival gang. The Bloods also use code, but they split the alphabet in half. They replace the letters from the first half to those on the second half. So the first half of the alphabet, A through M, and then N through Z. So the letter A becomes the letter N. The letter N becomes the letter A. It, it sounds confusing, but they would, they would write out letters on themselves like that. And it's essentially written in code. Uh, other popular tattoos for bloods are MOB, member of blood, uh, CK, which means crip killer or cop killer. And you also see the dog paw as a popular symbol. That's, I think uh, we need to combine that with the Russian tattoo and we'll just have the cat paw. Yes. That's what I think you need to do, Beck. You need to get a tattoo of a, you know, a little kitty paw. More cat tattoos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you mean a, a cat too? Oh, yes. Oh. Thank you. Woo. You're welcome. Uh, I won't one. thank you. <laughs> uh, MS-13 is another one of the most dangerous and feared gangs in the world. Uh, they are an El Salvadoran gang. Um, popular symbol for them is a skull on the left hand and three dots on the left wrist. It, it symbolizes the three places that members will end up. And those three places are said to be the cemetery, the prison, and the hospital. Devil horn tattoos can also represent membership to the gang. And some members will avoid obvious MS-13 tattoos and prefer hidden meaning symbols of the gang, which because they're hidden, we don't necessarily have the information to tell us what those would be. It's, it's very interesting when you look at uh, pictures from El Salvador um, and their prison system. And man, some, a lot of those gang members down there are, I mean, they have more ink than they do un, untouched skin. It, they really cover themselves. Um, it's, uh, you know, again, maybe, you know, maybe it's done for intimidation or maybe it's done to show, Hey, I am, I am so aligned and I've got this allegiance towards my gang and nothing else matters. It's, uh, it's very, uh, you know, they, they, they end up looking rather foreboding, um, just from, just from getting these tattoos. Yeah. And in El Salvador, incarceration is a, a real problem like it is in the US where it's so many people are, are locked up there and the I forget who's running El Salvador right now but um, it, it's one of those things that they'll brag about is the, the prison populations right right and how strict they are right indeed yes it is it is rough Interestingly, I, I, I recently finished a book on the, the folly of Bitcoin and <laughs> the, the president of El Salvador had announced that, that Bitcoin was becoming the national currency of El Salvador. And 
there's it, apparently there's still very few places that will accept Bitcoin there. It, it's such it's so much more of a pain in the ass than just using like a credit card. And so people don't want to use it. It's not that popular there, but the, the president is gung ho trying to get it off the ground. Huh. Well, anyway, wait, back to that, tattoos. Is it, uh, is it just because they, because of people, just because the, the Bitcoin's collapsing, or is it more because just the the people not Latin American people aren't buying into it? I'm. I'm this is a, This is it's, interesting. It's not entirely stable. Uh, interestingly, he. When when he announced that it was going to be the is this Bukele? The, the Isn't it, I'm not sure if I'm saying that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's his name. That's his name, okay. Bukele. And he um, he announced it for the first time, I believe, at a, a crypto conference in Miami in 2021. <laughs> and and after that, he gave every I believe every resident of El Salvador received thirty dollars in Bitcoin. And he he really wanted to get it off the ground in that way. It's it's just too much of a pain in the ass. Is is the problem with with Bitcoin there? Yeah, it, it's it's not fast and efficient to make the transactions, especially compared to something like credit cards, where you at least get points, and then you can allot those points toward travel or hotels or whatever you want. Interesting. Credit cards for. Interesting. All right, um, but going back to tattoos. Oh, I, w- I would highly recommend the book, though. Number Go Up. It, it's it's enlightening. Okay. Uh, best thing I've read in, in a while. Now, actually, back to tattoos. Uh, the Black Gorilla Family. They are a gang that was formed initially in San Quentin State Prison. Uh, their goals are to end racism and overthrow the U.S. government. And some of the common tattoos they have are BGF for Black Gorilla Family or the number 276, which is just the numbers representing the letters. As as I had just discussed with like crypt tattoos, they also use a crossed machete and rifle or a black dragon climbing the San Quentin prison tower. Now, the final group I'll talk about is white supremacy associated with white gangs of neo-Nazis like the Aryan Brotherhood. 1488 is a very popular tattoo. Now, I, I mentioned the 88 already. Eight represents the eighth letter of the alphabet. Eight eight is H H. H being the eighth letter of the alphabet, meaning Heil Hitler. And then the fourteen represents the leader David Lane's quote with the fourteen words. Um, white supremacists know these these fourteen words, and the fourteen words are: "We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children." That's something that they they live by. Yeah. Yep. So that they get that marked on them in tattoos is 1488. Yeah, as someone born in 1988, I feel uh, the the year was pretty unfortunate. I can't uh, have my birth year as my screen name for anything. <laughs> oh, what, consider people born in 1488. What are they supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, what do they use for their screen names, right? Now, some of the problems that can come from tattoos, infection is a huge one. Tattooing is often prohibited in prisons because of the infections and diseases that can result. Needles are scarce in prisons, as we discussed, but tattooing involves breaking the skin and potential blood contact, which causes this risk for bloodborne diseases like HIV and hepatitis C. 
prisons are not well known as being the most sanitary places. They're, they're often, if, if you walk into any cell, it's, it's often an unsanitary location and incarcerated persons have these limited resources for cleaning. Prison is also home to a lot of persons with hepatitis C and other bloodborne diseases. If, if we look at the proportion of people inside of prison and outside of prison that have hepatitis C, for example, it is much larger proportion inside prison. Often incarcerated persons will also share needles and other tattoo equipment just due to this lack of resources. So there have been calls for tattoos to be legalized in prisons, and that would mean providing inmates with proper tools so they can do it safely. And the idea is it's, it's a harm reduction strategy. If, if people are going to create their own tattoos, either way, we might as well. And to, to sterilize to date, they've, they've done something called burning the needle. They do this by what they would call popping a socket with a, a stinger. Uh, which is Eric? Can you explain a stinger? Yeah, we just plug. <laughs> I mean, the 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 most uh, most generic ones I've seen is they just. I mean, they will uh, they'll go and rip the plugs off or the uh, the power cords off of something they can find a small appliance that happens to be sitting around somewhere, and they'll just cut that down and expose the wires just so they can heat something up a little bit, run a current through it, and warm it up. So yeah. And it, yeah, and it exactly. Works. So they, they can create a spark. Yeah, create a little zap. And so they, they use that that little zap that comes from from a stinger to burn the needle. So our, um, since we're, we're talking about these clean needle programs and tattoos, are you going to talk about what Canada did? Tell us about what Canada did. Oh, Tell my. Me. Oh, my. This is wonderful. This goes back to, to 2004, 2005. Um, in Canada, in their federal prisons, they, um, in six of the prisons, they installed tattoo parlors and regulated the prisons. And the main goal was to um, kind of, uh, you know, obviously watch what the inmates are, are tattooing. All right. So they have a little yeah. bit of control over what the inmate, the tattoo, the inmate receives. But the biggest reason they were doing this was to try and drop the rate of, of a, uh, AIDS, HIV, uh, and hepatitis C being contracted in the institution. So the rates in Canada at the time were something like, 10% higher for AIDS and HIV, but it was something like 40 times higher inside the institutions and in public uh, for hep C. Um, so they ran this for about a year. Um, and it was very controversial because it was uh, because, you know, the government funded this program and it was something like 700 or $750,000 they put into this. Um, but you know, they were the, one of the ways they could say it is we're training inmates with a, you know, they're giving them a trade here because they're good. When they leave here, they could be tattoo artists. Um, and we're helping encourage them to, when they leave to find a job. Um, and we're going to slow down the rates of these in, infectious diseases. Um, but there, there was very little support from it. Obviously from the community, it didn't, they didn't get the public behind it. And then of course the, the officers did not, 
did not like it at all. And what the officer said was um, the ink from the parlors kept getting stolen and they were still getting illegal tattoos out on the, out on the yard or, um, or in the cell block. Um, but yeah, so they ran that for a year and then killed it. So I think it ended in early 2000, 2006, but yeah, it was a, it was a, I mean, talk about a progressive program, but, uh, they gave up on right? it. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's an interesting idea. I, I really like the idea of harm reduction Exactly. It's, it's giving them something to do. It, it might not be like a, a boredom tattoo is maybe not the, not in anyone's best interest, but it, <laughs> at least it gives them something to do and, and it, they can learn a trade that they can practice and make significant amounts of money on the outside by working their artistry. Yeah. Oh, producer Britt, you look like you got someone who's inside. gotten several boredom tattoos. Uh, <laughs> You're spot on. <laughs> so you are you saying there might be a couple you regret and some that you still love? No, I don't have any I regret because I got them. Okay. Up. So. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No. It. Uh, well, I, I. I don't know. It's. Uh, I, I think it was a great program. I would have loved to have seen it. You know run for a little bit while a little while longer but you know to think is there any place in the united states where that might fly is there any state where that might be i mean is, is massachusetts the only hope to get this kind of program going or i mean taxpayers would lose their mind that inmates are getting cheap tattoos um i don't know i think it could be cool if we did it like so massachusetts for example has has a the Northeastern Correctional Center, which is a restaurant where inmates learn to cook food, they learn to serve food, and they're in charge of the whole operation. What about a minimum security prison where inmates are allowed to practice the craft of tattoo artistry? And you can go in there and they treat it like a like an artist school, and where where you would go to uh, maybe like a dentist in training, and you would pay less for a dentist there. You you pay a little less than you would. On the outside, but you get, I'm sure you would get some great artists who are practicing their craft. Yeah. But I guess the one, one of the things you have to, I mean, you have to sign off for, well, the, the tattoo that you get is what you got to live with. Right. Well, True. well, these, there'd be a lot of waivers. That, that's right. Feel whenever you get a tattoo anywhere though. So that, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, that's what you get is what you get. Now, let me ask you this, producer Britt. Did you ever get one of those where if you, uh, when the artist says, if if you let me pick the one, I'll do it for free? Uh, yeah, I've gotten some cheaper tattoos flash. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You can, uh, oftentimes you can like go in and be like, hey, uh, do you have anything on your books that you really want to do? And then they'll usually do like a special deal for you. Uh, okay. Something they really want to do. And sometimes like, your uh, interests will align in like a tattoo that you've kind of been thinking about is something they want to do. And so you can collaborate and yeah, it happens. Interesting. And you know, the, hey, how about you? Well, no, no, mine are all family members. So, you know, the tattoos that I have are all, they represent a different family member. So yeah, I wouldn't, I, I guess maybe I'd, I'd be too terrified that I'd regret whatever the hell I got if it was spontaneous. 
So, I mean, I have been thinking about getting, you know, Beck's straw across my back, but, <laughs> <laughs> but because we're family. That's right. That's right. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I got to college watching, you know, my, my teammates on the football team just, you know, get there as freshmen, they all ran out. I, I work with the the wrestling team here at Roger Williams and uh, boy, we just, we had a wrestler who just graduated in the spring. Who's a tattoo artist as well. Um, really? Peter Tringali. Yeah. He was phenomenal, but he, he tattooed the whole team. I mean, everybody's running around with a tattoo and you got to wonder, okay, you're 18, 19. How are you going to feel about, Hey, my teammate gave me this tattoo um, in a couple years mm. or 15 years about something that, you know, you're not really sure you, you care about anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly why I have never gotten a tattoo. When, when I was 16 or 17 years old, I, I really wanted a tattoo of my last name, Straw, in Old English on my back, but with with a money sign in place of yes and i'm i'm Big so money. thankful Big i didn't money. get this i i would I, I would be feeling silly about this now so no no you should, you should so, have gotten that oh, I, I should have gotten it oh you gotta do that that is perfect <laughs> oh i love that idea <laughs> i feel like i would look very silly now as as an adult with this tattoo and i i think that every time i think oh that seems like it would be a cool tattoo i, I think w will this be 15 years from now will this be the money sign straw tattoo <laughs> what what will it sag into is what you're saying <laughs> oh no 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 what, what will will i will it still be a good idea oh, 15 yeah, years definitely. from now will i still care about having this or will it no. will it look that'll like look, a silly eyesore that will look great i think if you get that now and you go to the beach you know everybody you know you, you got to have at least size 48 font there we need this big <laughs> across your shoulders and uh yeah i think you should do that so <laughs> Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll work out designs together. Yeah. And this, this is no shade to anybody else who likes tattoos as, as a disclaimer to the audience. It's it's more of a personal thing where I, I think my ideas will be silly to me 15 years from now. Professor Straw is judging all of us with tattoos right now. <laughs> he looks down on this us. This means you, listener. <laughs> you. We probably deserve it, though. So. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Uh, now, I, I want to talk a little bit about some research on on prison tattoos. Um, there's a book called Beyond Bars, Rejoining Society After Prison. It's a, it's a book talking about reintegration into society. And the book finds from some research that inmates with tattoos have been shown to have a greater rate of recidivism than inmates in other groups that do not have tattoos, which is interesting. But the, the book warns that Former, it warns former offenders that employers often do not hire people with tattoos and piercings, and it recommends that they cover up tattoos and wear clothing that covers most of the body. And it warns them that many people in public will avoid them and look at them differently than they would others. Now, I, I don't know that this is still the case in the year 2024. Right. Yeah, because they're, they're becoming so common now. It's... And... and I think you know it's it's not the it's not the tattoo that's going to keep somebody who has a felony conviction out of a job. 
it's having to check that box, you know, on their application that, yeah, I have a felony conviction. Yes. You know, just because of what you know, tattoos have become so common now, you know, it's, I think, you know, maybe in my research methods class this spring, I can, we can do a little study in the class and just have people, you know, interview or uh, survey uh, people on campus real quick about, do you have a tattoo? And oh, I, indeed, I bet you we're looking at 40, 50 percent, wouldn't you think? I, I, it's significantly higher than it would have been when I was a kid for sure. And I, I would say I'm probably more of an outlier among my peers for not having one. Definitely. You are, you're way out there. <laughs> you're three. Yeah, sta- so we got a good point counterpoint. Yeah. Here. You are three standard deviations above the norm. <laughs> or, or below the norm. It, no, it depends no. on what standard we're looking above, at. You are an outlier of outliers, my friend. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll take it as a compliment, yes, I suppose. Yes. Um, there's also an interesting study that was done in 2018 from Kelly Brown, Blake McKimmy, and Theodora Zaccardi. And the study was titled The Defendant with the Prison Tattoo The Effect of Tattoos on Mock Jurors' Perceptions. So they had a number of mock jurors look at look at defendants and what their perceptions of guilt were and it was often dependent on tattoo style and location and so what the tattoo was of and where it was located on the body and they found that compared to non-tattooed persons uh, the participants recommended greater priority for police questioning when when the subjects had prison style tattoos on the face and neck and they felt that people with prison style tattoos were more dangerous than those with more modern style tattoos. Participants also perceived individuals with prison style tattoos as significantly more dangerous when their tattoo was located on the face or the neck compared to the arm. And so what we find from the study is that tattoos influence jurors perceptions of individuals and it's, it's just introducing more bias and that can impact decisions in court. It can impact sentencing in court. And keep in mind, this was a study with mock jurors. It's not a real case. Um, but essentially what was done here was, um, participants were shown photos of five men with tattoos. They were either more modern style or prison style on the face, neck and arm. Um, it was 30 participants in that. And then the second half of the study had photos of defendants who either had prison style tattoos or no tattoos. And they were read a scenario describing a physical assault uh, with either strong or weak evidence. And that one had 120 participants. Okay. That, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense, right? If, you know, just, we were talking about with inmates, why they might do it to, to look intimidating they're going to look intimidating in the outside world to the to the average person. So, you know, I, I think that's one of those. It, it makes you know great sense. I think one of the things to take away from that study, though, is do we allow inmates to um, wear makeup foundation to cover their tattoos if they're on their neck or their face or their hands uh, during or not inmates, <laughs> uh, people accused uh, accused of crime during a trial? Um, do we allow them to cover it up if, if they yeah, want? Right, that, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. 
that or even finding a way to make sure that the physical characteristics of the um of the defendant are not shown to the jury Mm -hmm. like uh put them in one of those uh those shadow screens and and turn their voice into one of like get a modulator for it like you would see on some documentaries where they're trying to like hide who a witness is maybe we do that but are we taking it too far then because someone like me that looks like a wildebeest versus someone like you that's a beauty queen right <laughs> gorgeous back straw is never going to get the conviction whereas i get sentenced to life <laughs> uh, but see see we want to remove all that bias it, we do it, because what we look like doesn't change the facts of the case it doesn't change the actions that yeah, occurred right that, that's true so so for your sake yeah oh i want to be I hidden think, trust me you, you deserve that screen. <laughs> put that brick wall up <laughs> let me hide <laughs> and yeah i need that modulator because i you know, sound like a, a yak being tortured. <laughs> I'm gonna take the stand. No. Uh, well, producer Britt and uh, my yak friend. That's that's all the tattoo news I've got right now. Oh, you know Shall what that means? On to movie. I do know. Hit it. Movie minute. Let's do yes. it. Movie minute. It's movie minute time. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. So this week, as we discussed last time, I watched 1974's Caged Heat, written and directed by Jonathan Demme, who you might know a little better as the director of Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, and Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads movie. Absolutely iconic director. Very surprising he directed Powerhouse. So uh, credit credited as one of the foundational films for the women in prison genre of films we should uh, probably call this the genre the uh, women in prison showers films due to its content <laughs> 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 it really around a couple prison breaks and uh, revenge against a prissy prison warden and an evil perverted prison doctor for all the requisite nudity in the film there is a surprisingly interesting subplot which might have actually been the main plot, but the real main plot was boobs. Uh, the subplot <laughs> concerns the evil perverted doctor and his love affair with shock therapy for behavioral correction. The film ends in a giant shootout, which is not totally satisfying, but kind of fun. Um, overall, I think I'd give this one two and a half maybe three soups it wasn't bad but a little bit heavy on uh you know the shower scenes <laughs> this sounds uh, fascinating and are you are you encouraged for more ventures into the world of women in prison cinema i mean there's two more caged heat films and i th- neither of them are directed by dem they're uh you know they have a lot of diminishing directors here and um, so I can't imagine they get better. I can only imagine they just have more shower scenes as we go. <laughs> so you know what? Yes, I am looking forward to the to the next two. Well, producer Britt, that's that's good news because you have been sentenced to watch Cage Teat Two. Oh, oh yes, yes. Oh. <laughs> 
I'll deal with it. Yeah. This this sounds interesting. Did you find any realism in the film at all besides I mean besides the shower scenes and boobs? Uh was there any humanizing of the incarcerated women? Uh, or was it more objectifying? No, no, there there was a humanizing of it. Um I mean it starts out with like one of the main characters like getting caught and uh both of her uh male like uh ostensible co-defendants not getting caught and uh it plays her in a pretty sympathetic light it actually yeah it does have a pretty sympathetic light for the kind of the four main women it centers around yeah surprisingly I, i'm sure it's not done in with, with subtlety or or, <laughs> or or in a way like no. like um, <laughs> mm-hmm. like how an orange is the new black would would humanize but it's it's good to see that they at least treated the incarcerated incarcerated women like people to some extent. Yeah, for a, a film from the mid seventies, I wasn't really expecting them to humanize them quite as much as they did. But at the same time, they also very much objectified them in the shower. So, <laughs> all right. Well, there's that. There's that. Yeah. Can't can't have our expectations too high there. No. Right. Yes. Uh. And. Bronson, have you seen this one? I've not seen Caged no, Heat. No, as I mentioned, I had, you know, I, I used that assignment in my class, my corrections class, where students have to analyze three movies that are corrections based. And, you know, I, I give the students a lot of latitude about what their, you know, what the movies are. And I, they do not have to connect them, but I t- if you want them to be connected in one way or another. So if you want to, you know, do three movies about prison gangs. Great. If you want to do three movies about child predators in prison. Great. So I had a student years ago do the caged heat series, all three of them, um, and did a very good job of analyzing them. And, you know, the important part is that connecting the, you know, what, what's going on in the movies with the reality from the time and place. So, you know, the analysis of, uh, the amount of assaults that go on in prison, uh, whether it's physical or sexual, um, and comparing it with with what the numbers are um, during that you know during that time and and wherever they're based and men's versus women's prison, um, that's that's one of those things where um, the students really see how Hollywood has to do those things to try and draw us in because I think. A movie about what truly goes on in prison would would not have anybody watch it because it would be so damn boring because it would be a movie about routine, you know. It, it yes, it, yes. So, um, yeah, they need something interesting like the shower scenes, or they need um, a prison break. Or- what? Uh, yeah. yeah, prison break. That's exactly. It. They they need a, they need a riot or an escape or something sexy and sensational because yeah. it, most of the time prison is not that. Yeah. Right. An evil. But it, there, there's a few yeah. something. But it's interesting yeah. to see, uh, you know, a lot of these students pick that you know Shawshank Redemption, and one of the things they they talk about is um, the corrupt warden, and yeah, they are able to find cases during that time period prior to the. You know, you know any type of government oversight over these prisons where we see there were 
wardens who took advantage of the inmates in their, you know, prison work release programs. And, you know, it was essentially slave labor for these wardens and they would make a killing taking these, uh, taking these inmate groups out to work and undercutting any, you know, any group out there with whatever manual labor type job they could find. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Uh, what, what movie is that? Shawshank. Shawshank oh, Redemption. Shawshank, yes. Yeah. I know you know that one. I, I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, team. Shall we close up shop? Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to Prison Breakdown. Please like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Eric, you got anything to plug? Or is it time for Lights Out? Uh, yeah, I got nothing. This, is, this has been Professor Eric Bronson. And I'm Beckstraw. Thanks for listening to Prison Breakdown. That's Lights, Lights Out. out. Lights out.